You're listening to The Peace Corner with a group of young, peace-hungry interns at GPAC, the Global Partnership for the Prevention of Armed Conflict. In a world riddled with violent conflict, peace can feel elusive and peace building can sound abstract. We want to change that with The Peace Corner. Who are the people breaking away from the discourses of hate and violence and transforming the status quo? What personally drives these people to peace building? There are many stories of peace, some which inspire us, fill us with hope, and others which make us hungry for change. Each podcast, we talk to a different peace builder about their own personal experience in the field, from Nicaragua to Palestine and beyond. This is a chance to hear from the people putting themselves on the line for peace, the people who remain steadfast in their pursuit of more peaceful societies, and who incidentally are delightful to talk to. So nestle into a corner and listen to the voices making peace possible. Welcome. This is the New Year special edition of the Peace Corner podcast, where I sat down with Darren Rodriguez-Torres, the executive director of GPAC, to discuss his experiences as a peace builder. As a young person, it sometimes feels impossible to see how it can make a change in the world, especially when it comes to big ideas like creating peace. Also, as a Nicaraguan, I often feel sidelined in a moment of my country's history where, you know, there's mass violence and a large social movement that I can't really do anything about. I turned to Darnell with an interesting question based on his Colombian perspective. As a Colombian, I imagine he would feel similar when looking back at the history of his country. What are some lessons we can learn from Colombia? Uh, what are some lessons we can learn from him as a peace builder? What are some hopes we could have for the future? Tune into the Peace Corner to find out. So welcome, Darnell. Uh, thank you for agreeing to this interview. And um, if we can just get right onto it, uh, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Uh, so for example, your background, uh, what do you do currently? Okay, thanks, uh, Joe. No, it's a pleasure to be in one of the new episodes of the Pete's Corner. I think this is one of the great initiatives that uh, you guys have had here at the GPAC Global Secretariat. So about myself, um, I am originally from Colombia. I'm a dual citizen of Colombia and Spain, um, but I grew up in Colombia. Um, I, I uh, spent my, my early youth there and then I've been, then I moved uh, to study in the U.S. and then I uh, went back to Colombia. Then I moved to to Spain, where I've been living for the past uh, 20 years, basically. And right now, I have the privilege of leading the team at the GPAC Global Secretariat, the Global Partnership for the Prevention of Armed Conflict. Uh, great, thank you. And um, one question I'm very curious about when talking to people in this field is how they got into it, you know, what drove them into peace building. And I want to extend the question to you. Uh, why do you become a peace builder? Yeah. I don't think that's a conscious option and, I, and, and I'm not sure, of course, I work in the peace building field, um, but I'm not sure that there was a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm going to become a peace builder. I think there are a number of factors that, that lead you into some particular type of job. Uh, you know, sometimes somebody said, "Do you choose a job, or does the job choose chooses you?" you know, and uh, I guess it's kind of a combination of both. Um, 
you know, first first of all, growing up in Colombia in the middle of uh, a conflict scenario, you are exposed to to a number of situations, to a number of uh, conflicts, a number of experiences, which even if you don't experience them directly, because there is a big divide between the way an our conflict experience in the case of Colombia, of people living in big cities, in urban settings, and people living in uh, rural settings, you do see and you do hear and you do get some kind of feeling of what's going on, different from from people who uh, grow up in different backgrounds. So even though I cannot say I was directly affected by the armed conflict in Colombia, uh, and for most of us who grew up in big cities in Colombia, I grew up in Bogota, you see the conflict on the news, basically. Uh, and you do, you do experience, however, a number of uh, uh, factors that condition your life, even, even in, in the big cities, because mm -hmm. of the conflict. So that, that creates an, an, a first interest in that. Then I was always interested in politics and international affairs. And I think part of our, our experience that really marked me as well is I had a I was lucky enough to be a foreign exchange student when I was 17 years old. So I went to live one year in a small town in the U.S. and uh, share an experience, uh, not only life in the U.S., but also to learn the experience from other foreign exchange students who were there. So that rose my my interest about, hey, you know, we are actually, despite our differences, despite where we come from, we have 90% common interest as people. And that kind of like led me to stress in my work what unites us as people rather than what divides us. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's something that has led most of my life, thinking about what it is that unites us. And if it is more, a lot more, what unites us, why do we always focus on that that divides us? And, and, and that has been sort of like a common point of, uh, like I said in my personal but also professional life um, which and then I took to into the different positions that I have, have held so I have been fortunate enough to be able to work in uh, the public sector but also in the private sector and now for the past 10 years in the uh, NGO civil society sector mm -hmm. so that that has given me I think a good perspective of how work in different um, areas are and how I can I can bring my uh, views and expertise and values into the different work. Um, I find it uh, very interesting how you said that you know the the career career sorry chooses you in a way, and you're kind of implicitly saying that uh, growing up in Colombia during this time period could have influenced your decision to be interested in in peace and in conflict. Is that okay by saying that? Is that well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, the context where you grow up that yeah. makes uh, that makes a lot. There is a Spanish uh, philosopher, classical philosopher called uh, Jose Ortega y Gasset, and he mm -hmm. used to say, "Yo soy yo, mis circunstancias." So it is it is about me, but also about my circumstances. Yeah, and so now that let's say your career as a peace builder has developed, uh, looking back to your origins, what do you think you can bring now back to, let's say, or what more insights do you have about the conflict you grew up in, for example, now that you've, let's say, stepped away and then learned in this new environment? Yeah. I think definitely, definitely perspective is a good thing. Mm -hmm. you know? when, when you step away 
and look into things uh, from from a distance that 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 helps to understand uh, your own context so yeah. there are many things that uh, you know the, the say of uh, uh, that the trees often don't allow you to look at the uh, at the forest at the yeah. forest so when you step away you kind of look at the forest and you see the other forest and you say oh you know there are a lot of things that we can learn from this part of the world and that can be applied into this other part of the world and you think and uh, there is there is a tendency to be very self-referential usually in your own experience and you think oh this is this can only happen here and this is only happening here and then you realize well actually those dynamics happen elsewhere yeah and and we will do good in learning from what is happening elsewhere and see how we can apply it to our current context yeah uh, so that is something that that this work and especially working in gpac where we have this incredible wealth of experiences worldwide, where you know you are able to to learn and compare situations from Asia, from Africa, and and reflect on your own context, and you see like, well, we're actually facing some of the same challenges, you know? and some of the things that you think, oh, this is unique to my context, like no, it's not unique, and there are solutions that have worked somewhere else. Of course, you cannot simply you know copy paste into your your own context, but 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 they do help you think creatively and in an innovative yeah. way in which what else what can we do differently mm-hmm. you know? so so i think that is one of the real um, added values of working in an organization as gpac that you are exposed to so much information so many experiences from so many good people in all the different corners of the world and that is something that is really really valuable yeah um, do you mind, uh, you know, identifying some of the dynamics or challenges that, for example, happened with the FARC and with the recent peace deal? And like, maybe you want to say how um, a sustainable that peace deal is or insustainable, in your opinion, based on the dynamics and challenges that you kind of learned over time? Yeah. Uh, well, first... The peace deal, in my view, was great news mm-hmm. for the country. I mean, you have to think of what the context was. And we've been going for over five decades of a conflict with the FARC. Yeah. Um, but the conflict in Colombia is not only or is not only about the FARC. The yeah. FARC was one actor, one important actor. Uh, but reaching a deal with the FARC is not really reaching a peace deal in the country. So it's not, yeah. and that sometimes there is impression, especially when you talk about Europe or uh, other places, oh, since there is now peace in Colombia, it's like, yeah. well, it's not really that there is peace in Colombia. The conflict with the FARC, there is an agreement to uh, take that element out, but there are other elements that drive potential for conflict in Colombia. So when, when, when you look at that, uh, and, and you have to explain that to people is like even in Colombia it's like no it's not that you sign a deal and then there will be peace the next day is that you remove one important obstacle uh, that was destabilizing the country but there are many others that we have to continue working on yeah um, it's been almost two years since uh, the signing of the peace deal with the FARC uh, there are organizations some of them very linked to, to GPAC actually for example the the Croc Institute for Notre Dame with whom we have worked closely in the past they are commissioned their task with monitoring the implementation of the peace deal in Colombia mm-hmm. and uh, they produce they have produced two reports so far on how the implementation is going and you have you have uh, 
sort of like a mixed mixed balance. No? On one hand, positive news. Uh, just if you look at the levels of violence, they have drastically reduced the number of dead people, the number of killed uh, combatants and civilians. So there, there is there is a reduction in general levels of violence. Uh, but at the same time, there is a, a risk of expectations not being fulfilled. Mm. So there is a there is a, a need to really um, manage expectations and and to deliver on what was agreed on on, on the peace deal. So. So we need to, we need to step up on, on, on delivering on what was promised, uh, not only to the FARC or to the government or to the army, but to the common citizen, which, which is a, the big deal is a big opportunity and are wondering, well, maybe not so much has changed for me because one of the challenges of the peace process so far that has been highlighted in these reports is that in those places where the FARC has left, there has been a, a vacuum. Yeah, that has been filled by other armed actors, uh, and somebody living in a town doesn't care if people holding hands have a bracelet that says "FARC" or that says something else. To them, it's an armed person that is conditioning their their life, and yeah. and that is something that maybe um, hasn't changed much. And where we have to step up efforts as Colombians and the government of Colombia to really make sure there is a presence of the state and that that vacuum, those sectors where the FARC is living, are filled by state presence and not yeah. by other actors. And that is a dynamic, for example, that we see elsewhere as well uh, with, uh, let's say, Syria and Iraq of and the Nigeria of the certain power vacuums that sometimes you feel like we kind of expected that to happen, but we still didn't deal with it. And then you do and you have those multiple actors stepping in again and in a way continuing the conflict. So that is something that you say could have is potentially could happen in Colombia as well if there's no steps to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it, it yeah. is It is happening, of course, not at the level of uh, Syria no, no, or no. Iraq, yeah. uh, but, uh, but it is happening. Like mm-hmm. I said, the conflict in Colombia is very complex. It was not about FARC and the government. Yeah. You had the FARC, you had the government, you had the army, uh, but you also had the ELN guerrilla, the Ejército de Liberación Nacional. Mm-hmm. You had a number of uh, paramilitary groups. You had a number of private militias. Uh, you have drug traffickers, which is you know, kind of like the the, 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 the blood that, that, that keeps, that connects all, all of these actors. Yeah. Um, so you have a number of irregular actors and you took of the equation one of them, a very big one significant one mm-hmm. but there are others that are trying to fish in this uh, in this uh, pot and, and to see okay what opportunities can I can I left can mm-hmm. I have and, and and that is the difficulty when, with a country that has been living or has over 50 60 years in in such a conflict system so so the whole system becomes a, a reality and it's difficult to to change and the whole conflict scenario becomes or keeping keeping a scenario for conflict becomes uh, becomes an objective in itself because some some people are benefiting from this yeah. from this uh, type of uh, scenario uh, so it is difficult to 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 change these realities and it, and the change has to come from not only from those who signed the peace agreement but really has to be a whole transformation of the society thinking okay what it is that I have to do in order to really change attitudes, uh, values, um, behaviors that really promote a long-term sustainable peace in the future. And um, 
That's interesting. So that kind of leads to my next thought, and it is, uh, what kind of role do you think civil society can play in this? You know, in that bridging the gap between the actors who made the peace deal and then the holistic approach. Yeah. Well, peace building is mm-hmm. not only about the armed actors. Peace yeah. building is especially about civil society, about citizens. You know, what kind of world? What kind of country? What kind of community do we want to create? And I think this ownership, this realization is, is very important, not only for the Colombian context, but in, in every every context. Um, you know, peace cannot be built from the top down and cannot be imposed, but it has actually the other way around. It's usually built from, from the community and goes up into... Uh, uh, higher levels, if you if you will, and awfully, often that is what prompts uh, agreements. On the, this push by civil society to say, "Hey, we need to do something. Let's let's push political actors to do something about this." And and that is uh, that is happening in, in in Colombia. There is a very vibrant civil society in Colombia that has promoted this this agenda. That has taken a number of initiatives to build peace from the ground up and to. Think of peace beyond the current peace deal, and and saying okay, no peace is not about this peace agreement that was signed in Havana. It's it's about what we, what vision do we have as Colombians for our future, and how are we going to contribute to building that vision? Yeah. Um, I think uh, some organizations are in Colombia are doing excellent work doing this. Some of them part of the GPAC um, network, thinking. What it is? What is the country that we need to build? What do we need to to build in? And how can we create that change? And how can we expand mm-hmm. this uh, uh, constituency of people, this uh, number of change makers, of change leaders that will take us there in the future and ensure that there is a a new country yeah. being built? Uh, you keep uh, mentioning the future. Um, what kind of role do you think youth can play in this? I think youth youth is key because you know peace building and uh, in context uh, of um, uh, when you come out of war, there, there is usually a a trade off. There is a tension between between uh, the desire to make peace, but also the desire for justice from from grievances from many years of of conflict, and uh, there is a process of reconciliation that has to take place in societies that emerge from conflict. And reconciliation is, of course, dealing with the past and making sure that past is acknowledged and that future, uh, past grievances and pain is acknowledged and that reparation is made. But reconciliation, in my view, is also, and perhaps more importantly, about building the future. What kind of future do we want to have? And we tend to think in the future in terms of our lifespan. Mm-hmm. And our lifespan is very short. We should think of the future in terms of generations. Yeah. What are, you know, think three, four generations ahead of you. What kind of future is that we can build uh, in that sense? And the role of youth and thinking, you know, giving this perspective this of intergenerational perspective of thinking about not only uh, my experience, uh, um, at, uh, you know, as, as, a, as an adult or as a young adult or as a older adult, but also as a, as a person, as a, as a child, you know, what, what do I expect or how do I see my, my future? 
Yeah. And, and more of that, how do I see the future of my children and grandchildren? And, and what am I doing now to, to build that? So the role of youth is, 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 is key because that construction of the future, of course, uh, we will be doing it, but it will be to a large extent the result of uh, the youth of today, but also the youth of tomorrow and mm-hmm. the youth that will come after that. Yeah. And as far as I know, there is an intergenerational project happening in Colombia, right? Uh, could you tell me more about that, if you can? Yes, of course. There is a, that's an in, uh, initiative from uh, mm-hmm. one group uh, uh, of um, Colombians that work very closely with the GPAC. Uh, this group is called uh, La Paz Querida, mm-hmm. uh, which in English is something like our... Wanted, wanted peace, but also beloved peace. Be- yeah, uh, a great combination. Uh, of yes, uh, like the peace we uh, uh, aspire to build. Yeah. Uh, so this group is essentially thinking about what I was just saying. It's like we need to look beyond the peace agreement, and really, what we need to build is a change in our culture. We need to have a cultural transformation in the way that we approach our our um, relationships and the way that we deal with conflict. So conflict will always will be there. It's just mm. that what means do we take in order to resolve those conflicts? Uh, right now, or until now, a, a common feature of resolving conflict in Colombia has been violence. And what, what this initiative aspires to do is to create or to propitiate a a change in the value system, in the ethical values and the way that we transform and we address address conflict, and doing this through dialogue. And, uh, uh, and they do this, I, I think it's a very interesting approach because essentially they're thinking, when I was uh, talking to one of the persons who, who, who designed the initiative and, and who has been promoting these dialogues, he said, you know, people don't realize, but our conversations shape our reality, you know, and the okay. way that we talk about our reality, the way that we talk about our town, the way that we talk about our neighbor, the way that you talk about your wife and children, uh, what kind of things you talk about, um, the words that you use, that shapes your perception and that builds the perception and, and builds your reality, ultimately, the dynamics yeah. of your family, the dynamics of your community, of your country. So we need to change, we need to learn about we need to be conscious of this and learn about how to talk and how to be more effectively uh, talking because by having these spaces for conversation, we're actually having the spaces in which we're building the new reality of the country. So these intergenerational dialogues are precisely about this, about simply creating space for conversation and thinking, of course, about the past that we have had as Colombians, the violent past, but also thinking about, okay, how can we build that future together through yeah. our conversations and how can we develop that common vision? And they do that precisely looking at that intergenerational element. You know, this mm-hmm. is not something uh, that, that one age group can, can do, but really it has to come from the youth, bringing their perspective and telling their parents, hey, this is what is important for us, but also the parents and there's, uh, telling what, where they come from and what they did, what they did, and what they want to do together and what they aspire to be together, not only you know, 10, 20 years from now, but, but two, three, four generations from now. Are we able to change 
those dynamics. That is the difficult thing. Can we change the dynamics uh, that that uh, that bring conflict in a in a um, continuous way? Can we break yeah. the cycle really and move forward into building a new reality? And that that is something so that they have been doing this intergenerational dialogues. They they especially focused on um, small towns in very 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 affected areas of countries of uh, of the uh, country affected by violence like i said yeah. growing up in bogota you're not very much affected but if you go into some of these small towns you see and you hear stories of what the conflict was really all about yes and and that transformation then takes place through dialogues through communications through thinking together about what country do they want to build and what community they want to build in the future yeah. Yeah, that's a very. That's a certainly a very powerful uh, initiative. I think it's like it also, a lesson-wise, it's something that you know. Hearing it, I hope it would happen more often, more times across the world, because let's say as a young person, it uh, it oftentimes feels like when it comes to these big issues of peace and conflict and conflict resolution, because let's say you're deemed as less experienced then you would have, let's say, less to say about it. But then this gives me the opposite, um, you know, understanding of, you know, we do have a certain experience from the conflict that needs to be shared as well. So that's a very powerful message, I think. Yeah. And the and way a young person experiences yeah. the conflict is different from the way yes, uh, exactly. somebody else experiences Same thing that a way conflict affects uh, a woman is different from the way conflict affects yes. a man. And there are different threats that are perceived and different expectations. So it's a very powerful inclusivity. Yes, of course. Yes. And I, I was I was in uh, in one of the most recent uh, dialogues in a small town, very beautiful town in Colombia called Mompox. It's a very beautiful mm -hmm. Colombian town. And um, and I was in one of these tables and there was this kid who was like 12 years old. Yeah. And I was very curious to see how how he was interacting. I was checking with the people in the table and he said, it's incredible what he's telling us. Like, I could never realize, uh, I could never think of this element that he's bringing to the discussion yeah. know, as, as a 12-year-old because that's, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible the, the kind of contributions that he was making. He was being very, very active and being very, um, uh, uh, yeah, very, very openly speaking to uh 60-year-old men or, you know, 40-year-old uh, women. Uh, and he was, was really, she's like, well, for me, this is what it means and this is how it has affected me and this is what I expect. Yes. And, and, and that is really valuable. And sometimes we tend to neglect those, oh, he's only, you know, 12 years mm -hmm. old, what does he know? Or, or he's too old already, you know, he's yeah. past, he's 80, you know, uh, he's going to die in mm -hmm. 10 years or what do we care? But those experiences, bringing together those experiences is, is yes. really what, what adds value into these processes. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And um, just to wrap everything up, do you have any final lessons you want to share from this uh, specific situation of FAR Colombia, what you know, know of it, of your experiences? Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a one, when, 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 when we work in conflict prevention, mm -hmm. uh, there is, Often people who said, oh, sorry, you came too late because you know, we already had 50 years of conflict. No, you, you cannot prevent that anymore. So uh, so there is a kind of like a 
little of an understanding of what prevention is. And prevention is not a moment in time where you say, now I do prevention, now I do peace building, now I do conflict resolution, now I do peacemaking. It's a prevention is uh, something that you do all the time. Prevention is really about uh, managing uh, situations and risks and seeing at, at different levels. And I think at this moment, in the case of Colombia, it is precisely after signing that agreement, two years after signing the peace accords, it is the moment of prevention. There are studies that show that uh, around 60% of uh, countries who went through civil war, 57% to be precise, relapsed into conflict. Uh, so that's very significant. Uh, that's a very significant uh, percentage. So we have in Colombia, we have to prevent this relapse. Um, and we have to really convene the different actors, civil society, governments, militaries, all the actors to really say, hey, there is a risk here. And, uh, and the recent studies on implementation show, show this, that we need to secure the gains that have been achieved by the peace process and prevent any relapse. So that's one thing. And then we need to think, what is peace? A more general reflection about what is peace. Uh, and uh, to me, peace is not the absence of war, as you know, negative peace is often uh, portrayed or is, is defined. But, but peace is, should be the absence of fear. So when you see the levels of fear increase, that's not a good sign. That's a sign that probably the situation is going to derive into a violent uh, resolution. But if you see fears of levels of fear diminishing, that's a good sign. That shows that, that, shows that uh, hope increases, expectation, confidence in the future, confidence in your ability to not only um, be preserved from physical uh, threats, but also on confidence on being able to secure your livelihood and to secure the livelihood of your family and to secure a, a personal project. That's what marks the difference. So we have to see really what, uh, in the terms of um, going back to the Colombian peace process, what difference has it made in lessening or in diminishing the levels of fear of the population and increasing the levels of confidence. Uh, and if we take that measure, then we can, we can see and we can assess, I think, more accurately whether the country is moving effectively towards a more peaceful state or whether, uh, despite the peace agreement, we're still uh, at risk of um, perpetuating the violence in the country. So I think I, li I like to think in those terms of fear versus confidence as indicators of uh, where we are assessing and as indicators of where we need to act in order to prevent um, violent conflict and to be able to really build peace. Talking about the benefits of peace so far, I was a couple of years ago, I was speaking with somebody from the military and they said, you know, some people, some of our fellow uh, members of the military, they really complain or they're really critical against the peace deal. But if you look at it, we are one of the main beneficiaries of the peace deal, the members of the military. And he said, just go into the hospitals and look at how many, uh, how many soldiers are hospitalized right now and compare it to what the situation was two years ago. And it's incredible. Now you have very few people 
uh, in hospitals, uh, very few people injured or killed during combat. And that we feel personally and our families feel personally. So that is one element of uh, diminution uh, of the levels of fear on behalf of one armed actors. And also, I think it is important to see whether a, a, a peace process is being successful or not, not only to look at the big indicators, but to look at small at small things. Uh, there is this, there is this um, uh, approach to evaluating success of peace processes, which is called uh, everyday life indicators. And if you apply, it's not, it's not that we have applied that in the Colombian context, but talking to some of the people who participate in this intergenerational dialogue, so I asked them, do you see a change in your life? Since the peace deal was has has something happened, do you feel better, safer? And they say, yeah, of course. And say, what what is the change that you see in your small town? And they said, well, you know, small things. For example, for decades, um, the 8 p.m. mass at church was cancelled because nobody would dare to go out in the streets when it was dark. So there was no mass at 8 p.m. Now we have our 8 p.m. mass back and people are going to church at 8 p.m. in a small town. Uh, and are those small changes what, in my view, indicate that people are feeling more confident, less fearful, and that the peace process is really making a difference in, in, in people's lives. And we have to look at those small changes to be really more, uh, to assess the success of, of, of the peace deal as well. And that is an indicator that is often not taken into consideration those kind of indicators but I think those those indicators of how life for some people is becoming more normal are very important uh, and are very telling of, of how people feel uh, that, that processes like this make a difference in their lives. Yeah, that's nice because you can say that in a way peace is measured by the little things Yeah, you know and that's don't take it for granted essentially. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we take uh, many of these things for granted here you know, in Europe. Uh, the fact that you can go and walk in the streets and uh, feel safe, that's often not the case in many conflict-affected scenarios. And the fact that people start feeling more confident to do that, that is the piece that, that is the positive piece. You know? yeah. That is the, 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 the piece that, oh, I feel safer. I feel more confident. I can talk to people. I can uh, go to my neighbor's house and... I can live a normal life and I can think about developing a normal or a good future for myself, a personal project for myself. And that is often the challenge in, in, in conflict scenarios. And that's what conflict prevents you from doing. And that's what the absence of conflict and really the, the positive peace factor enables you to do. Right. Yes. Thank you so much for this. Thanks, you Appreciate that. We hope that you enjoyed season one of the Peace Corner. If so, make sure to share it with friends, colleagues, your grandma, and whoever else might be interested in listening to voices making peace possible. Stay tuned for our upcoming season with new and inspiring peace builders. So nestle into your corner with a cup of coffee or maybe something stronger and lend an ear to peace. Find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you really love us, leave a review.